Hello, my creative brothers and sisters, Sourdough here. And I want to tell you about some cool new things we got for you at notrealart.com. We just launched our artist education program where you can learn and grow your arts career. We call it the Not Real Art School. Not Real Art School features five free courses with top artists and business experts, all who spoke at our Creators Conference in 2019. Our free courses include important business topics for any artist, such as how to protect your art, how to market your art, how to license your art, and even how to pitch your ideas in Hollywood. Our Not Real Art School program also contains free career advice from top artists who tell you how they achieve success in their careers. These artists include Jorge Gutierrez, Logan Hicks, Julie B., and Human. Take advantage of this empowering content today. Just visit notrealart.com and click on the school link to get access to this valuable educational content. And the best part is, it's all free. Yes, free. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. Visit notrealart.com today to learn this important business knowledge and grow your arts career. Here's more good news. Not Real Art now offers a new art buying program in collaboration with LA-based art publisher Sugar Press Art. This is great news because now you can easily buy cutting-edge contemporary art at affordable prices and get free shipping with every purchase simply by going to notrealart.com. Sugar Press publishes over 80 amazing contemporary artists that I know you'll love. Artists include Colette Miller, Aaron Yoshi, Jorge Gutierrez, Man One, Risk, Tanner Goldbeck, Max Neutra, Two Fly, and many, many more. To take advantage of our new art buying program, simply go to notrealart.com, click on shop, and you'll be there. You'll find all these amazing artists at affordable prices, and you'll get free shipping. Okay, heads up, my creative brothers and sisters. Not Real Art now has an exclusive membership program designed just for you. If you're an artist or an art lover and you appreciate what we do here at Not Real Art and you'd like to join the family and help support the cause and celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it, please consider becoming a member today. Your membership will help support our work, such as funding our artist grant and production costs for all the programs and content we produce. Your membership will also help us stay independent and commercial free. And when you do become a member, you'll get valuable benefits and perks we think you'll find very cool. And becoming a member is super affordable. Just $5 a month for artists and $10 a month for art lovers. So to become a member of the Not Real Art family, simply go to notrealart.com, click on membership to sign up, and help us celebrate and elevate the creative culture we love and the artists who make it. Thank you. Warning. The Not Real Art Podcast is intended for creative audiences only. The Not Real Art Podcast celebrates creativity and creative culture worldwide. It contains material that is fresh, fun and inspiring and is not suitable for boring old art snobs. Now, let's get started and enjoy the show. Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to Not Real Art, the podcast that celebrates creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough. 
my co-host man one is on assignment today so you're stuck with me so enjoy <laughs> on today's episode i'm honored to be joined by one of our 2020 grand winners jacqueline valenzuela who is an amazing independent emerging artist from la and uh, she won our 2020 grant this year and one of six winners. And uh, this episode of the podcast, we want to honor her and celebrate her and uh, share her story and her work with you because uh, we know that you will love her story and love her work. For those of you who don't know, uh, Not Real Art has an annual grant, artist grant, uh, every year. We started it last year in 2019. This year in 2020, we awarded a uh, $2,000 grant each to six artists. So each of those artists received a $2,000 check. However, uh, it's not just about the money. It's about the support. It's about the platform. We want to really help celebrate and elevate them and give them a platform to tell their stories and promote their work, which is why we want to have them on the podcast. We're going to have a, a virtual exhibition coming up showcasing their work. We're going to be doing some other things to uh, help promote them. Uh, There'll be, we have an interview that we'll post on our blog. So be sure to check all that out. But this interview with Jacqueline is fantastic. I mean, she's such a positive force. Uh, Her energy is just awesome. I really love talking to her and I love her work. When you listen to this, you'll, you'll learn a lot about her and her passion for lowrider car culture, which informs so much of her work. I learned some fun facts about uh, lowrider culture as well, which was really quite fun and fascinating. So, you know, be sure to look for that. And of course, in the COVID age here, we're recording remotely. And so um, there's some technical issues and glitches here and there. So please forgive that. You know, we're doing the best we can here in this uh, year of 2020. Yeah. So, you know, we want you to... uh, get down with uh, Jacqueline and, um, you know, you need to follow her on her website and on her Instagram. You know, you got to find her right now. Yeah. Find her again on Instagram at P I E L D E M A Z A P A N and, uh, show her some love, send her a DM and, uh, tell her how dope her work is. But, uh, before I sign off, I've got to uh, remind you that time is running out to register to vote for the presidential election this November, arguably the most consequential election, uh, presidential election in the history of this country. So uh, don't waste time. Don't mess around. Get registered to vote and let your voice be heard uh, come November. So that's that. I mean, with, uh, without any further ado, let's cut to the chase here, get uh, get right to it with Jacqueline's interview. Jacqueline Valenzuela, welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast. Hey. <laughs> it's so great to see you. I know, I'm so excited for this. I know. I've been so looking forward to talking to you. I'm such a big fan of your work, and and uh, you know we've got so much to talk about. But uh, but 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 before uh, we get into it, I just got to know with this being a podcast and all, do you listen to podcasts? Are there any podcasts that uh, you enjoy? 
I listen to podcasts sometimes, but they're usually like murder mystery podcasts. <laughs> nice. Um, there's not like one in particular. I haven't gotten like hooked on to anything. Yeah. But I think podcasts are like really cool because you get to basically sit in on a conversation, but you don't have to actually partake in it. You can just listen to someone else having a conversation. <laughs> yes, the, the fly on the wall aspect is, yeah. is great. Yeah. So you you like uh, kind of murder mystery whodunit kinds of yeah. uh, <laughs> excellent, excellent. I uh, yeah, you know there are so many podcasts out there, and and it's almost impossible to sift through them all. So I always like to ask people like what they're listening to because that's a, a, a quick way of discovering cool new podcasts. You know. Yeah. There's actually a lowrider one. I think it's called. Drifting on Memories, and they uh, interview different people in the lowrider scene, people that started car clubs years ago, all this other stuff. It's really cool. Uh, I really like that one. So that's one that I think is more geared towards my own work, where I'll listen to it sometimes. So let's give another shout out to those guys, because we want to make sure that we support our our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in the podcast uh, universe. So what was the name of the podcast again? It's called Drifting on Memories. Drifting on Memories. Wow, I love that name. It's such a cool name. Yeah. Well, uh, and this is such a good kind of segue, you know, even into your your work. I mean, clearly you are a passionate lowrider. Yeah. So take me through, like, I mean, obviously, you know, we get into things because they come from our community or our culture or our big sister or our big brother introduce us or whatever. Like, how did you get into lowriding? So I grew up uh, right off of Whittier Boulevard. Whittier Boulevard is a kind of a main location for cruising. Growing up, I would see cars at least every Friday, Saturday, Sunday, classic cars driving by. And I always thought they were beautiful, but I didn't. That's like where the interest stopped. I got with my partner who I've been with now. It's going to be seven years. He's really into cars. So the stuff that's in the background right now, that's stuff he's painted. He had a El Camino, I believe it was uh, 78 or 80, 80 something. I forgot. But um, that was his first car. And I basically helped him restore that car. I was the only person that ever touched that car besides him. I think pouring your life into re- like restoring a car really opened up my eyes or made me realize, oh, like cars are cool. <laughs> so... After helping him so much with that, he actually bought me my own uh, lowrider. So I own a 1975 Cadillac Eldorado. It's called La Playgirl. So everything is going to be Playboy Bunny, like on the inside, decor, everything. I think I've had it for like two or three years now. But once I own that car, I think I really, my eyes were open to the reality that sexism was alive and well in the lowrider community. I hadn't thought about it before because I would just go cruising with my boyfriend and it wasn't a big deal. But people, he would drive my car around sometimes just so I wasn't sitting because I was in school at the time. And obviously I'm not going to drive my old car all the way to Cal State Long Beach and possibly have it break it down, like break down. People would always tell him, oh, I like your car. Or they would assume that my car was his car. And that really bothered me. Yes. I was like, uh, no, it's not his car. Especially because I work on my car a lot. A lot of lowrider owners don't. 
even the guys that think that women lowriders aren't like to be taken that seriously, some of them have never touched their own car. They filter out the work. Yeah. So for me, it was a big deal to uh, highlight women lowriders because I think they're overlooked or when people think of women and lowriders, they always think of the highly over-sexualized models that are placed alongside the cars for photo shoots, which all power to those women. But there's also women that are driving these cars, fixing these cars, painting these cars, and they're not getting the same amount of recognition sometimes. So right on. So what, what's your when you're working on your car? I mean, like, so what's your specialty? Like, do you like working on the engine? Are you really mechanical or do you like working on the paint in terms of like creating the, the graphics? And I mean, what what do you enjoy about working on your car? The thing that we've been doing the most uh, is body work. So when I got my car, it's all original. But when I got my car, it had a bunch of dents. It had a really big dent on the side of the, I think it was the passenger side door. And then just on like the quarter panels and stuff like that. So I've worked with my boyfriend to take out all those dents. And it's been a hassle, but it's really rewarding when you start to see your car uh, come together. I've usually worked on body work. He's let me paint some stuff or like primer up the car. I would like to, once we get to the stage where it's ready for paint, I do want to be more involved in that. And I have helped him with some of the painting process on his, one of his old lowriders, or even just taping out patterns with a really skinny tape on his current, cause he has another lowrider now, but um, I've helped him with all of that. And I would, on my own car, I would like to go through each of those processes. It's kind of weird because I know how to paint with a brush, but I don't know how to airbrush that. Like, I know basic stuff, but um, it's basically learning a completely different medium. And also just the paint material. It's completely different. It's cool, but it's intimidating. Sure. Well, and then, you know, like, I mean, I'm, I'm getting an education here um, and I so appreciate it, but it's like what little I do know, like the artistry. Uh, and I'm just thinking of like some of the, the paint and the graphics and things I've seen. I mean, the artistry that goes into this stuff is insane. I mean, whether it's, you know, and I under, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's my understanding, like, you know, just because somebody is like awesome on the airbrush doesn't necessarily mean they're awesome with the, with the pinstriping or the lettering. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah I mean, those are two very distinctive, different kinds of aspects of the art form. Right. Yeah. There's a uh, different kinds of levels. Whenever I tell people, oh, my boyfriend is a lowrider, like a custom painter. They assume that he does pinstriping, too. But that's a completely different medium. Yeah. And that's like actual brushwork. And you have to, like, hold the brush a certain way. I've, I suck at it. I don't even go near it. I'm a big, I love coffee. I'm a big coffee drinker. I feel like, I feel like I couldn't drink coffee if I was doing that. Like my hand would yeah. be shaking too much. Yeah. Um, there's painters, there's classic car, car painters that can do a really killer paint job, but they don't know how to do body work. So they have to have other people do that. Luckily, my boyfriend knows how to do all of that. So my car is going to be with us from start to finish. That's so cool. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's I have some friends that are into the into custom cars, not necessarily low riders, but 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 it, it's just this such a inspiring world to, to see artists of a different kind working in a different medium in a different way. You know, 
And these cars are true works of art. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing and so inspiring. Yeah, I think when I first got into cars, I didn't really, or when I just looked at cars before, before my interest was full blown, I didn't take into consideration how anything can be an art form. I didn't really realize that, I think, until I had to work on my own car or I saw my boyfriend working on panels or painting stuff. And then I was like, wow, like that does take a lot out of you creative wise and then also just like men- like mentally like you have to really invest into it it's like any other art form yeah and and just the 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 metal working aspect of it too i mean what i've seen guys fabricate you know out of out of metal it's such a cool thing and um you know but but it's it's interesting um you know as you got into it you 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 talk about how women were sort of cast in this very specific idea of like, oh, she's supposed to be riding with her boyfriend who's driving or or there's supposed to be some, you know, model that's, uh, you know, standing next to the car for the poster or the pinup, you know, whatever. But as a as a, a female, you got into this and you realize, whoa, like like there's a lot of sexism happening here. I think it was hard to deal with at first. Now I'm more like, uh, whatever. Like I've probably touched my car more than you ever have. So you can say whatever the hell you want to. (laughs) There actually is a lot of women in lowrider history that have been a part of it, but they're not as well known now. Like there wasn't all, all, uh, Latino, like all Mexican American car club, called the ladybugs and it was all volkswagens and it was all women uh lowrider owners they were one of the first big lowrider car clubs and i think it was the i forgot if it was late 60s or early 70s but they were a big deal at their time and eventually they kind of like broke apart but there has been a lot of women involved in the scene but i think it's been overshadowed now by uh the high the highly sexualized models, even in like hot rods or um, classic cars or street racing. Like there's been a lot of women figures, but they're just not as well known or they're overlooked, stuff like that. So, yeah, well, and this is, this is one of the aspects of your work. That's just so beautiful and powerful is that you honor so many of these women in your work. Tell me a little bit about some of the women that you honor in your work, some of the other uh, lowrider women that you paint. I think the one that I've probably formed the strongest bond with is Monique. She is located in Pico Rivera. Uh, she comes from, I believe, it's like three or four generations of lowriding. Her grandfather was a lowrider. Her dad was a lowrider. He's actually a car club president. She's a lowrider and she has a son. She's a single mom and he's a lowrider owner as well. So she's been super involved in it. I think she's been lucky enough where her dad didn't have any sons. So he only had daughters. And the ones that are into lowriding, he really nurtured that interest. And so within his car club, she was voted treasurer. So she's in charge of different stuff within the car club. And uh, she plays a key role. She's an amazing woman. Um, Again, she works on her car all the time. 
she told me there's times where she'll get her car ready two, three days before going out on a cruise just because she wants her car to look pristine. Her father is also a car painter, so he does custom painting too. And him and her son painted her car together. So they painted the car for for her. She's an amazing person. Like She introduced me to a lot of other people within the community. I've even painted her parents and they have been together. I think it's been like almost 30 years or something. And with them, I painted them. I had my solo show. They had never seen the painting before. They saw it at my, at my solo show and their anniversary was two days after. And they were so excited because uh, the painting that I made of them, I titled it, If You Want It, You Got It Forever which is like a oldie song, but I think they really connected with that because they're like, this is about our life. This is about something that we have poured our life into, invested in the car culture. And I think it was rewarding for them to see themselves immortalized. Well, that's a good segue to explain to our listeners that uh, you and I are, you know, we're living in this COVID age. So we're recording this podcast uh, over uh, online and we're seeing each other. Uh, on the screen here, uh, although we're not in the, the same room necessarily, but uh, I get to look into your world a bit with this amazing artwork behind you, and then your dog. By the way, your dog is totally welcome. Uh, <laughs> your dog's probably way more interesting than I am. But uh, well, that what's your dog's name anyway? His name is Echo. He's a tripod. I adopted him from Angel City Pitbulls. He's really ran- rambunctious and he's super clingy. I think he's like. He's my soulmate right here. Like, <laughs> is he the is he the dog that is in the photo uh, on your website? You you you're holding uh, a, a pit bull. Oh no, that's a uh, Smokey. That's my other dog. So he's me and my boyfriend. We have two pit bulls. My oldest one, Smokey, he's more attached to my boyfriend, and then the youngest one is more attached to me. I always laugh because uh, me and Echo have the same zodiac sign. So I'm like, oh, we're we're flames. We're twin flames. We're meant to be. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, pit bulls, man, they're awesome dogs. I mean, they get a bad rap, but they're a buddy of mine had a couple of them. I mean, all you know, growing up, uh, he had pit bulls all the time, and they were just so smart and so loyal and so loving. Yeah, but don't piss them off. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, you know, forgive me, right? Because you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm just super curious. I'm going to ask maybe a, a silly question here, but. But where exactly did low writing culture like begin? Like how did like who was the the person that said, you know what, I'm going to slam my car. I'm going to do this thing. Like, do you know, like the origin story of where low writing culture came from specifically? I don't know the the whole thing. I, I know vaguely um, from stuff that my boyfriend has told me, but actually, um, you know how pattern work is a really big deal on the low rider cars. That was actually, that originated from like white men that were painters, but they painted um, like the hot rod or like the the racing boats or whatever. I don't even know what they're called, but it originated from that. Like uh, the crazy paint jobs on those boats transitioned into, I think uh, more like Latinos started to take notice. And then um, there's already kind of, like the cruising era where I think there's a time where anyone would go cruising and 
I mean, when everyone had classic cars, but they weren't classic at the time. It was just cars. They would go cruising on the boulevard. But then it became a big deal once they were a little bit influenced by seeing these patterns on these boats or seeing other stuff. They kind of started thinking, okay, let's transition that onto cars. That's, I think, where it started, where cars started to become very heavily patterned. First, there weren't airbags or um, hydraulics. They would just put cement blocks in the back, in their trunk. No kidding? Yeah. Fun fact, you heard it here first on Not Real Art. That is amazing. Yeah, so that the car would be slanted and so it would be closer to the floor. It's changed a lot and there's been a lot of different like transitions, even just within the lowrider community. Um, the really crazy patterned out, patterned out cars, they're not that popular anymore. Not a lot of people have them. That's really 70s style. People have more like simple pattern work and a lot of pinstriping on their cars. So there's just been a lot of transition. Um, I, right now I'm in the process of getting, uh, I need to get airbags because on my own car, I have front wheel drive. So if I wanted to put hydraulics, I have to cut up the whole car. I really don't want to do that. So I have to get airbags. No one likes airbags. Everyone hates on airbags in the car community because they're like, why don't you just put hydraulics? Because it's with the hydraulics, you can actually like move the car and play with the car. Airbags, it just goes up and down. Okay, okay. So it's it's the lame compromise compared to the hydraulics, <laughs> which the hydraulics are super expensive, and you got to cut your car up to like to integrate them, huh? Yeah, I guess I'll just put cement blocks in the in my trunk. <laughs> Go, go, go super retro, old old school, OG shit, you know, like. <laughs> I'm, like I'm more original because I don't have hydraulics or bear, airbags. I have the cement blocks. <laughs> Bricks, baby, blocks. <laughs> that is so cool, man. That is so cool. Well, you know, it's fascinating to hear how this passion of yours um, has influenced your work. I mean, when you when I saw your work, I, you know, for me personally, it just resonated as being just so full of energy and positivity and and love and 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 it. But yet at the same time, it was super rich and and felt really personal too. And and as I like read more about it, I mean, clearly, you know, you you take great care to tell stories with your work, and 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 you go deep. I mean, you interview these people you get to know their their history and their stories so that those pieces are so personal to them as well yeah that's really important to me because i think when i applied i i kept highlighting in my application that just really bringing their stories or making like who they are as people come across in the paintings i think the paintings are still very like alley or come across like okay this is like cityscapes, culture in these lower income communities, stuff like that. But I think at least I know or when the person who I paint looks at the paintings, they see a lot of things that have to do with them, like personally. So if you know the person, you'll find these things and you're like, oh, that's something that they like or they like those colors. This is like a tag that came out in the background of a paint of like a picture they had of their car and this like graffiti was in the background. And so she put that in there. 
So there's a lot of uh, different things that just come in. And uh, I try to make it, for me, it's personal because I get to know the person. But I think it connects the subject with the painting more because I really try to take into consideration who they are and what the world should know about them. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, as I, as I read about your work and got to know it, I mean, just those, the, those levels and layers to it, you know, and the meaning is obviously, you know, what is um, so special about, about the work and kudos to you for, for this. I mean, you know, the, and by the way, just change up real quick. I want to shout out to your mom and dad. Thank you. <laughs> because in reading your story, right, being first generation Mexican American, you know, daughter of immigrants, you know, I have many friends who are are you know children of immigrants, and you know, there was always so much pressure from the family to to be a doctor or a lawyer or an account, you know, something you know professional, so to speak, or whatever. And you have always been an artist and your parents have always supported your dreams as an artist. And that is so special and so rare. And uh, shout out to your mom and dad. No, they're amazing. I love them so much. <laughs> they, I think their uh, support really drives me because, like you said, a lot of immigrant parents don't think that's okay. I have a friend who um, I went to art school with. His parents didn't know he was pursuing art. He told them that he was going to school for something else. They had no idea. Like, they thought that the art projects he was doing at home, they thought, oh, like, he would tell them, it's it's just like a random class I'm taking. I'm taking it, like, as extracurricular. That was his, like, what he was going to school for, but he had convinced his parents he hadn't. Because it's a big deal, I think, Parents sacrifice everything. They come over here. They expect you to make it like live the perfect American dream. I think I'm just living my own version of it. I'm doing something that I love. And I think that was that's the best way that I can repay my parents to truly pursue a passion that I had because they weren't able to do that. Well, and that is supposed to be right. Part of what the American life or way or culture is supposed to be the freedom to to follow your own path of course we know that that's not always the case but in your situation i mean the fact that you had the support and love of your family and your parents specifically that really was so empowering you know because it's it, it boils down to you know security right like you know of course your parents want you to be secure and in that in that mindset it's like oh um a real job is how you get security so you want to be a a lawyer or a doctor, whatever. Um, and, uh, but that's not always the case either. Right. I mean, we know, um, you know, that, that a lot of these folks are, are, are uh, struggling too, you know? So, um, and I, and I think we're, you know, for artists, we're sort of living in a golden age of a new Renaissance. I mean, artists are, are more relevant now maybe than ever. Yeah. Yeah. I think art's becoming a, a, more of a big deal and especially with just coronavirus happening so many people are I think investing into art or I know um a lot of other artists that I have worked with before they're making art accessible to uh, low-income communities providing free uh art classes so that these kids that are at home and don't have maybe don't have anything to do are still able to do something they're even um 
sending out materials, free art materials to these kids so that they can participate in these classes and have something that they can pour their extra time into because art is a big deal and art, I think it really is healing. I taught my dad how to paint at the beginning of, of the pandemic. He wanted, he had been asking me, begging me, Jackie, I, I need, like, you need to paint this for me. And I was just like, yeah, dad, I'll get around to it. I'm, I'm doing commissions. I have to do personal work. There's art shows coming up. Like, I'll squeeze it in there. I, I will, I'll do it. He got tired of me saying that. And he finally was like, you know what? You draw the, the thing on the canvas and I'll paint it. And I'll paint it. And I'm like, okay. So I drew it out for him and he painted it. And it looked good. And he was bragging afterwards. He's like, see, uh, I'm the reason you're a good artist. I'm like, okay. <laughs> You get it from him. <laughs> yeah, that's how he was. I was like, okay, dad. Oh, that's so cool. That's so sweet. What did you What did you draw for him to paint? So obviously he's from Mexico. He grew up on a ranch and he really wanted a bull. I don't know why he wanted to paint a bull, like in the countryside. We ended up like, he found me a reference picture that he liked. I drew it out for him and he painted it. And everyone was amazed. Even my family members, they were saying the same thing. Oh, wow. Uh, you did get it from him. I'm like, okay, whatever. What state of Mexico is he from? What part of Mexico? He's from uh, Zacatecas. He's from this tiny little uh, ranch called Berrendos. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. I mean, when my parents first got together, when they first went to Mexico as a couple, they didn't even have plumbing there yet. They didn't even have like electricity. So he grew up from nothing and he just wanted something that reminded him of home. He tries to go back to Mexico as much as possible, but it's kind of a struggle. Yeah. Was that Northern Mexico, Central Mexican, Mexico, Southern? Like like if you were to look at the map of Mexico, it's probably, it's like in the middle. Like it's in the middle. Okay. My mom's from Nayarit, so she's from a state over. She's on a coastal state. My dad's in the middle. So where he's from, it's more like a valley area. Okay. Okay. I've only been to Mexico, I don't know, half a dozen times or something. Um but, but, you know, been been to northern, been to central, been to su- southern, been to coastal, both on the east coast and the west coast. I just love Mexico. I can't, you know, like I I, I want to go all the time. Yeah, I love Mexico. I haven't gone in a while. I think the last time I went, I was 15, but I just haven't gotten around to go back. Yeah. You mentioned um, a minute ago, you know, you sort of referenced uh, covid uh you know, early on work, you know, with your dad and the painting and stuff, but like, how's your family been doing during this COVID craziness? Like how, how, you know, is everyone healthy? Like, how have you guys been handling it? Like, do you, you know, like it's such a crazy time. Oh, my mom went above and beyond. She, she was wild at the beginning. (laughs) She, she panicked. She was like, I need to go to Costco and I need to get stuff. Like mom, relax. We've been okay health-wise. No one's gotten sick. I think it's common in Latino families to live with extended family. So right now, my parents, they have a main house in Whittier, and we have a back house. And in our back house, my sister's back there with her four kids. And in the front house, it's me, my parents, and my grandma's been staying with us. So my grandma on my maternal side, she was visiting from Mexico. 
And she was planning on being here from, I think she got here in February. She was planning on leaving in July. But with everything happening, she had to push back her flight. So she's basically been living with us for most of the year. And um, it was scary with her because she's older. So we've been extra precautious. I think I've just been at home painting and my grandma just watches me. She's like, what are you doing? (laughs) Well, it's been interesting talking to artists about their work in this time because it's impacting everybody differently. I mean, I, I know some artists who are being incredibly productive. I know some artists who you know, can't seem to get inspired and just, you know, aren't really producing work. It sounds like you've been able to to stay productive and, and create new work. I've been staying productive, but mostly I've been working on commission work just because I was working as a after school program art teacher, but the school district shut down, I think in March. So since then, I had to just go full into commission work. I had never done that before. I would do commissions every once in a while. But uh, thankfully, I've been able to mostly like stay afloat with commission work. And it, the only thing that sucks is I think my personal work is suffering because I'm not putting as much time. Like there's paintings. I'm starting a lot of paintings for my own personal work, but I'm not finishing a lot of paintings. But I guess it's okay because a lot of the shows are being pushed back anyways or like they're being postponed until next year. So it's not the end of the world, but uh, it does suck because sometimes I feel like I'm missing out on my own work. Yes, yes. Well, you met, you referenced your, your uh, one-woman show and I noticed on your website you've got you, – you've, you've, it looks like you've participated in a couple of virtual exhibitions in recent months – First of all, congratulations on your on your one uh, woman show. Uh, how I mean, it, it talk to me about that. Uh, I, I saw some of it online because that was earlier in the year. When when was that exactly? Yeah, that was in January. I think it opened January fourth or something, mm-hmm. and it closed in February. So it closed right before a lot of things started closing up. Yeah. So. I, at least I had an opening night for that. It was really amazing. It was rewarding. It's such a milestone and honor, right, for an artist to have a solo show. Was that your first solo show? Yeah, that was my first uh, solo show um, in a gallery like setting. It was really rewarding. I, I think my last year of college, I was panicking and I was like, I'm not going to do anything with this degree. I suck. Nothing's going to work. And so many good things have come out of just staying on top of my art and really focusing and buckling down and trying to make a career out of it. So that solo show was super rewarding. Yeah, that, that's great. Did, were you able to sell many pieces from it? I think opening night, I sold six pieces. And then f- throughout the show, I've, I've sold like three, three more. They were all on the bigger end. And then recently I sold my first biggest painting uh, to date. I believe it was like 54 by 58 inches or something like that. So that's the biggest painting I've ever sold. That wasn't through the solo show, but I had been picked for a show during my last semester of school. They they have like the students put up their artwork and then they pick paintings to go up in the president's house for the president of the school. Mm-hmm. And she invites like rich, rich people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where money spins, yes. Yeah. And 
someone happened to see the painting and I think they're a, a Latino like professor. Um, they teach like Latin art or something or Latin history. So they really appreciate Latino artists. And I recently dropped it off. That was really rewarding. I, I didn't think I would sell a painting that big, at least this early on when I feel like I still have a lot of growing to do. So that was really cool. Absolutely. You're, I mean, you know, it's, it's a journey, isn't it? A constant should be right. A constant process of improvement and evolution and, and taking risks and chances and testing new things. And, and um, it's, it's it's a very vulnerable, scary (laughs) journey that artists take. Right. But it seems like you have, sounds like you have such a strong work ethic um, that you, you pretty, you have a pretty rigorous disciplined approach to your work. Um, talk a little bit about your approach to your work. Cause it, 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 you know, you're, you're, you're producing, you're growing, um, you're passionate. Obviously you have a lot of, you know, energy and excitement about your work. So, so, so talk about that. Where do you, where does your work ethic come from? I think that goes back to my parents. This always makes me tear up. I can't cry right now. <laughs> my dad, um, he's just a really hard worker. And growing up, he just always told me, like, my job is to um, give you guys a good life and your job is to make something out of your life. So I don't know, like, I think having such strong parents has really helped me. Yeah, no, it's true. Right. I mean, because we that, you know, it's that old saying about, you know, we stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. Right. And that's it. Right. I mean, our parents you know, my parents, you know, had a good, great work, work ethic. I know that that influenced me, but what a gift that is because so many people don't have that. Yeah. My parents, I like, even when I was a little kid, um, I think I was the one that was most invested in my school career. Uh, my parents always laughed because even as a little kid, if I felt a little bit sick, I would still say, no, I need to go to school. I need to go to school because um, I have to do my schoolwork and I need to get this finished. So I think I've just always been like that. And I think whenever I find something to invest time into, I try to put as much time into it as possible. Yeah. My dad is very, um, I think he can be a little bit cocky sometimes, but I think that's been one of the reasons why, why I feel like I need to be the best that I can be. Yeah. Well, you got to have, you know, you got to believe in yourself, right? And you got to have some swagger. You know, that that old saying about, you know, fake it till you make it <laughs> as well. Right? And uh, but, you know, it, that only works for so long. I mean, because eventually you got to back it up and prove that you've got the goods. And your dad has done that. He's instilled that in you. That's such a beautiful story. And I'm I'm touched to, to, to watch you and hear you tell it, because clearly you have uh, a lot of love for your dad and your mom. Yeah, there are. Uh... They're amazing. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, do you have any siblings? I do. Um, all my siblings are older than me. Uh huh. I have two older sisters, and then I have my eldest sibling is a he's a brother. So they're just the funniest. Like <laughs> they're just the funniest people ever. <laughs> Actually, my brother was really into art, but he just never pursued it. My other sister, my oldest one, uh, she has four kids, but same thing. She. She's always, she was a good artist while she was in school too. And I think they both just didn't think that that was something that they could do. Like for me, when I make 
my art or when I try to show my art, I try to put it in places where the surrounding community can be influenced by that because I know like maybe my siblings could have been artists too. Or I have uh, family members in Mexico who they do do art on the side, but that's not something that they can pursue full time because they have to help at the farm. They have to help with ranch work. So I think I come from a family of artists. My dad is obviously, I told you he learned how to paint. He makes cartoons of his coworkers at work too. <laughs> I read that. That's so good. <laughs> That's so good. Speaking of, of sort of the ranches in Mexico, have you ever uh, worked on them? Have you ever gone down and, and done any uh, work on the ranch? Unfortunately, no, because I would always, when I would go, it was when I was younger or when I was a little bit older, I would only be there for a week or two. There's like a prime time during the year where they're really farming and doing all the farm work. The sister that's a little bit older than me, she spent a lot of time in uh, Mexico because she would sometimes go out there to help my grandma fly out because my grandma was scared to go on the plane by herself. So she, I think out of all of my siblings, she's the one that probably spent the most time on the ranch. I would like to go and I think it's rewarding. Like even my mom went earlier this she went in July, she took all my nieces and nephews and they help along, they help at the ranch. So doing uh, ranch work is important. <laughs> well, no, and I, absolutely. And I ask, I'm a, I'm a, you know, big outdoors guy. I mean, I love camping. I love, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, but I also grew up in the Midwest, you know, kind of in farm country and worked on farms and stuff, you know, as a kid growing up. But I mean, there's, so, there's something so rewarding physically, spiritually, mentally about, you know, well, A, being outside, B, working with your hands, C, you know, getting dirty with, you know, animals or, 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 or nature or whatever, you know, and then, and then, and then D, like seeing, seeing the fruits of your labor, whether it's the garden bearing fruit or the, the cows, you know, you know, uh, producing milk or whatever it is. And, and, and as an artist, right, um, I can see how something like that, you know, would be could be very inspiring and informative to your creativity and to your work. Yeah. Uh, I think the only thing I ever helped with was like moving the cows around. Cause you know, you have to move them to different like <laughs> yeah. places to graze. So that yeah. was like the biggest thing that I helped with. I have cows in Mexico. My dad just, he'll be like, Oh, this is your cow now. And I'm like, okay. I, guess. <laughs> <laughs> I have two cows somehow. <laughs> Send me pictures. He'll send me pictures. They miss you. Yeah. He'll send me pictures. He's like, your cow had a a baby. Look, look at it. I'm like, what? You're a a grandma. Yeah, I'm like, okay. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, so, you know, part of the reason why we're here, a big reason why we're here is the fact that you received the Not Real Art Grant this year. And, you know, we were so lucky and honored to get your submission. And, um, you know, we had, I don't know, almost 200 submissions or something. And yours was, you know, obviously, for many reasons, one of the standout submissions. And we're so grateful to get to know you and learn about your work and, and, and then ultimately give you the grant. How did you find out about the Not Real Art Grant? So one of the winners from last year, Juliana, I know her because she's alumni from Cal State Long Beach. So I remember when she won, I saw that she was posting stuff and I was like, oh, that's a cool, like, 
grant. I applied to it. I was super nervous because I had only applied to one grant before and I hadn't won. So I was just like, uh, this is like, I'm putting all this work in, but I'm probably not even going to get picked. So I was all stressed out. I even, I had answered all the questions and I kept telling my boyfriend or like my friends, I'm like, I answered all the questions, but I don't even know if I should apply. Like, I don't even know if I should send in my application. And they just kept telling me, like, just do it. Like, what are you going to lose? So I just applied and I was like, oh, crap, I won. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I won, Juliana reached out and she was like, oh, um, that's so cool. I'm so happy for you. Um, They did a lot for me. So I know that they're going to do a lot for you. Yeah. Well, yeah, we love Juliana. She's amazing. And uh, and that's so great. I mean, because that's that's what we want, right? Like we want the word to spread and we want, you know, to build a, a community of artists that are supporting each other and helping each other. And, and, you know, so much of what we're about is always about trying to what we call celebrate and elevate artists and, you know, empower artists. And uh, the grant is, you know, one way that we try to do that. And yeah, I mean, as a, as a grant recipient, part of what we're doing is, you know, we don't, we don't want it to be just about giving the artist a check and then and then walking away and yeah. never talking again or whatever. Like we really want to give artists a platform. And so winning the grant or even submitting for the grant, sort of we think of it as being part of the not real art family. And then, you know, certainly if you win, it's like, oh, you're absolutely part of the family. So yeah, getting receiving the the grant money is one thing, but but also really helping to help our, you know, help our winners tell their stories and promote their work. And that's why we want to have you on the podcast because people will hear this. People will learn about you. You know, last year we gave the grant winners produce an exhibition for them at uh, Art Share LA's gallery, you know, and that was great because many of those artists, it was their first show. You know, this year we have to change it up a bit just because of the COVID factor. What we're going to be doing this year, uh, we're actually going to going to do two different things. The exhibition uh, will be a virtual online exhibition. So in October, uh, we're going to have, you know, the Not Real Art Show, you know, online featuring our grant winners, and we'll be promoting the hell out of that, sending, you know, traffic and, 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 and you know, promoting that way. Uh, obviously, everybody is um, getting a podcast and an interview. Your, your, your interview with uh, our friend Katie Love uh, will, will get published uh, to the to the website when we release this podcast. So those things will go out in September. The other cool thing that we're looking at doing is because, you know, there's been all of this, you know, talk about kind of drive-by art and, you know, kind of public art that people can go and drive by or enjoy, you know, in a COVID uh, safe uh, manner. And so we're looking at, uh, we want to do like public projections of your work, you know, in public spaces so that, um, you know, people can enjoy it, you know, in the public setting, can drive by, can come and walk and enjoy it. And so that's the basic idea. We, we haven't yet found the location. And so, the, you know, there'll be more to, 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 to come uh, once we understand, you know, where the heck we're going to be able to do this. And uh, but we're excited. And, you know, and but it's also just the beginning. I mean, you know, a lot of the grant winners that we have from last year, I mean, we've some of them are writing now for the blog and, and, you know, we've worked with them on other projects and, you know, and so for us, this is just the beginning 
for Jacqueline and uh, the Not Real Art uh, crew here. Have you ever won a, a grant? Was this your first grant? This was my first grant that I won. Like I said, I was like, what the? Okay, <laughs> like, I guess I won. It's cool because two other Cal State Long Beach alumni won, and one of them I'm really close with, Kiara. So I was so happy for her. Immediately, I, I texted her and I was like, oh, my God, you won too. <laughs> That's so good. Something in the water over there at Cal State. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's fantastic. That's super groovy. I mean, you know, there was, um, you know, all hell was breaking loose, right? Like when this was going down. I mean, we we chose the winners, um, and then COVID happened, and you know, there was some some debate because we had to cancel our conference. I don't know if you know that we have a, a conference that we do. And, you know, the, we wanted to announce the winners at the conference like we did last year. Juliana probably told you, right? Like we, you know, so that was the plan. Well, then when COVID hit, it was like, okay, well, we had to cancel the conference. What about the grand winners? Are we, are we going to still announce, you know, the grand winners? And I said, hell yes. I mean, you know, if, if, the, if the artists, if there was ever a time to give artists some grants, it's at the beginning of a pandemic you know, and so it was really important to us to try to get those awards out there um, ASAP because, you know, we knew that, you know, the timing of it would be probably very helpful. But it's been such a crazy year, man. I mean, how, you know, what what's the morale? I mean, and, you know, you're so positive and you're so your energy is so good. But, you know, there's a lot of shit happening in the world right now. I mean, how, you know, is how are you feeling, for example, uh, about uh, Joe Biden's pick of Kamala Harris? I mean, this is like a crazy time. I mean, with the politics of it all. Oh, my God. I'm kind of disappointed just because I think she has done a lot of good things. But then also I'm thinking like you literally have protests happening because of police brutality and we People want to defund the police. People want to abolish the police. And you're going to pick someone that was a police woman or was like on a force that was enforcing all these policies that were targeting black and brown communities as your vice president. But then also it's like, well, no one wants fucking Trump as president. (laughs) So it's hard to deal with. Personally, I was rooting for Susan Rice as his VP pick. But the bigger point is that we have to win in November, right? And we not only do we have to win, we have to win by a good margin, right? Because a couple of points, you know, he's going to throw shit at the results. And, and and he already is starting to undermine the, the, the validity of the election. So we have to win. We have to win by a big margin. And so... It's a generational fight. I mean, you know, and I think, you know, the long, the arc of history is moving in the right direction. It just takes so fucking long to change anything. But, you know, I I, I have to have hope. I mean, for my kid's sake, you know, I, I have to have hope that it's going to only get better. It's just got to take time. Uh, I'm so grateful that we were able to do this. And, you know, this is just like the beginning, as I said, of our friendship and our relationship. You you are part of the Not Real Art family. And uh, by the way, what does the phrase not real art mean to you? For me, I think I just really related with your guys's, your motto or like making art accessible to other communities and recognizing art that isn't taken seriously sometimes. Because I know my art, it's either it's street art. It's always street art, but it's never fine art. But it's like I went to school and I studied fine art, so I know what the fuck I'm doing. (laughs) 
for me, not real art is just showing artists that deserve recognition that aren't getting the publications or the interest that they should from the art world. Because the art world is really snobby and it's really it's just weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful to hear you say that because that was the whole point. I mean, you know, with the name not real art, artists typically get the joke immediately. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, joke immediately. But yet, if I taught so many gallerists, collectors, patrons that I've talked to, and I say, oh, yeah, you know, we're with not real art. And they're like, what, what, what is that? What do you mean not real art? I don't, I don't understand. Do tell, you know, like, and they just, you know, and it's so funny. It's like, yeah, you don't, we're not for you. Like, you know, like, you don't get the joke. How many artists throughout history that we celebrate now were told, you know, by the intelligentsia or the gatekeepers of their day, whether it was Picasso or Monet or, 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 or Jackson Pollock or Basquiat or Warhol, you know, it's like, oh, that's not real art. That's not real art. That's not real art. And then, of course, you know, we celebrate them now. Yeah. I actually had a conversation about that at my solo show. This guy's a tattoo artist, but he really like supports my art. And he went to my show and he was like, you're a real artist. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, like, you're a real artist, but people don't know about you. He's like, that's fucking dumb. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> he's like, you're making like art that matters and people don't know about you. And I'm like, that's the art world for you. <laughs> and they will, they absolutely will. It's just a, it is, it is a dysfunctional world. That's very inefficient. It's very fragmented. It's very corrupt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> People want to act like, you know, there is real scholarship and real objectivity when it comes to, you know, who breaks out or who doesn't break out. And, and that's just not the case. Well, only the test of time, I think, will prove uh, your place in history, you know, as an artist, uh, not the, the art critic uh, of the L.A. Times necessarily. You know, and we love the L.A. Times. <laughs> but, <laughs> But artists also have to take more responsibility for their fate and um, they have to uh, accept more responsibility for their their careers, their business. They we, you know, we have outsourced all these years, you know, to the gallery. If only I could get this gallery, if only I could get this show, I, you know, and um, and now, though, because of, you know, technology you know, we can take the power back a lot and uh, market, you know, our work directly to buyers and collectors. But that takes work. And that's not the fun work. We want to make art. That's the fun stuff. We have to embrace the the, the business part better as well. Yeah, I think it, it's funny because when I was in art school, I never really thought about how important it is to take into consideration the business part. But it it's a big part. There's no... There's no way that you are going to succeed in your art unless you're putting in all that time, not only to making your art, but to marketing yourself, to really like going out there, networking, making a name for yourself. Even if these big galleries aren't recognizing you, they don't have to. You can make your own platforms. So that's why I thought Not Real Art was cool, because I was like, you guys are searching out for artists that are being ignored. That's right. And, um, and, you know, quite frankly, you know, uh, artists we believe in, I mean, you know, I'm not, I, I don't want to act like we're so objective and, and we know what's best either. You know, like we, we celebrate artists that, that, that we, uh, believe in too, you know, and, uh, 
And I just, I find um, in part of our pursuit is, is one of freshness, one of, you know, one of unique, uh, what we feel anyway is fresh and unique and, and what have you. You know, I don't want to, I like art I haven't seen before. I like different points of view. And uh, so anyway, we're here to celebrate and elevate artists at all levels. And, and we're so grateful, Jacqueline, that you're part of our family now. Thank you. I'm so happy that you guys picked me. That's so great. Well, listen, we'll do this again. Uh, our time is running short now, so I'm going to sign off, but we will talk more. Stay tuned for the events coming up. Don't ever hesitate to call me or text me or whatever. We're here for you. And uh, we'll talk soon about the upcoming events. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Jacqueline. Take care. Have a great day. Hey there. Thanks for tuning in. Please be sure to like this episode, write a review, and share with your friends on social. And if you haven't already done so, please press the subscribe button and follow us on Instagram at NotRealArtWorld. If you're an artist, be sure to apply for our 2021 artist grant at NotRealArt.com. Sourdough, out. Thank you.